Welcome to Unsupervised Learning, a security, AI, and meaning-focused podcast that looks at how best to thrive as humans in a post-AI world. It combines original ideas, analysis, and mental models to bring not just the news, but why it matters and how to respond. All right, in this episode of Unsupervised Learning, we have a sponsored interview with Jason Kikta of Automox. Jason is the CISO and SVP of product at Automox, and our conversation covers the roles and responsibilities of a CISO and senior VP of product, the challenges and solutions in endpoint management and IT security, the importance of patch management and configuration in cybersecurity, the benefits of cloud-based systems for security and IT operations, the future direction of Automox and upcoming features, and the philosophy behind IT and security governance, as well as other topics. And with that, here's my conversation with Jason Kikta of Automox. All right, welcome to Unsupervised Learning. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So can you start by, I guess, introducing yourself and uh, telling us a bit about the company? Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Kikta, and I am the CISO and Senior VP of Product at Automox. And at Automox, we make an endpoint management solution, uh, and it's cloud-based. So that means that you have a web console where you can control all of your endpoints, and each of them have an agent that applies patches, uh, runs scripts, and sets configurations. So uh, it's a new way of, uh, of of doing things compared to some of the older solutions out there. And, uh, you know, we we think it's a really exciting product. So we're going to jump into that. But the first thing that really got me is um, CISO and head of product. I absolutely love this. That's a really <laughs> interesting combination. Tell me more about that. Yeah, m- mistakes were made on my part. Uh, my CEO asked me, and uh, I was uh, not smart enough to say no uh, to signing up for two full-time jobs. But the the path here was that uh, I started with Automox 15 months ago as as the CISO, and you know the security program, much to my surprise, was already in a pretty good place, um, and so I was able to to build it up and and really refine it and and bring it to where we wanted it to be over the last year, uh, and at the same time. He wanted to go in a new direction with the product, and I felt passionately about that as well because though I've moved into cybersecurity over the last decade, you know, I got my start back in the 90s in IT, and I was, you know, doing IT ops um, for, for most of the last uh, 20 years as well. Uh, and uh, during my time in the U.S. Marine Corps, I uh, spent a lot of time, you know, as, as an IT director or, or um, essentially in a CIO role. And that gave me a lot of passion about what we do here and how it uh, affects our customers. And so I think uh, I was a victim of being too persuasive. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I had, you know, gave them a whole laundry list of like good ideas of things that I thought that we ought to be doing and ought to be looking at. And so uh, when he decided that he wanted to, to, you know, go in this new direction, I got, uh, I got called up to the big leagues and, and put in charge of the product as well. So. Wow, that's, that's, that's uh, that was my my unusual path. <laughs> that's really interesting. Um, and I, what I love about it is how the incentives are aligned, right? Because most yes. people, in a lot of companies, the incentives are completely opposite, or or at least orthogonal. Whereas for mm-hmm. you, it's like, okay, I'm securing the company, but I'm also building a product. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, it's I think be, because you know, if you looked at at 
at our board of directors and, and investors, you know, we, we, we have a lot of work. We are an IT company to be clear, but we have a strong cybersecurity pedigree as far as the, the people who are involved. Um, and, and so there's always been a pretty solid security culture here, but, you know, at the same time, we recognize like when you're talking about endpoint management, this is something that has system level access on every machine that you run, right. As do all products in this category. Yep. Uh, and so you know, it, it's, it's, it's hilarious to me because I'll have a customer call where they'll come in and they'll say, you know, you're going to be one of the most dangerous, you know, th- this is kind of a dangerous product. And so I want to make sure that, that our security is in good hands. And I'll say, I absolutely, this is the second most dangerous thing that you run in your network, hands down, bar none. And they'll look at me, you know, sort of in shock at the, at the honesty, but it's, it's true other than, you know, EDR antivirus type stuff where they, they have to hook the operating system in, in, yeah. in order to, to function you know, your endpoint management solution is going to be the most second most dangerous thing in your network. And you should feel really, really solid about the security of that solution. And and if you don't, you know, you you might not just have an endpoint management problem. You might you might also have a security problem. And so, you know, getting people to to think more critically about that as we're building the product and designing and features, um, you know, adding in even in some security features has been really fantastic. Uh, certainly my security people love it because they, they win uh, even more arguments than they used to. Not that they had much of a challenge before, but you know, <laughs> I yeah. think they view me as a ringer. Uh, but you know, it's been, it's, it's been a, you know, pretty easy go on that front because I don't, I have n- never had a company where um, I've seen so little pushback on wanting to, to drive it to a more secure solution and deliver the service in a, in a secure manner. Awesome. And how, uh, how exactly are you addressing that? You mentioned it's cloud-based, which uh, isn't typical for most products like this. So how are you addressing that, that security consideration? Yeah. So, so believe it or not, that actually makes it easier uh, in a lot of ways. So when you look at the traditional players in this market, the the UEMs and the RMM solutions, these these other styles of endpoint management, many of those are what we call on-premises, meaning that you have a server sitting at each location that is controlling each machine directly. And so like that is software that you have to run on site. And that is one more thing that you have to patch and configure and maintain. Right. And so we take, we're taking that component away, right. We're taking that component away from a customer direct responsibility and we're moving that uh, into the cloud where, where we control it and maintain it for you. And so it actually is really fantastic because that means that there's not a debate about whether or not we're going to use best practices on that server side. Yeah. Like that's just, we do that from the word go. If we find, um, if we were to find say a security vulnerability or uh, an, an issue, you know, we can have that fix uh, pushed out into production in, you know, l- the moment it's finished. Right. Whereas, it, you know, having to, Otherwise, push it out to customers, make sure they understand the importance, get them to schedule a patching of that um, server component. You know, that's that is a much longer tail. So so being cloud first uh, or cloud only, I should say, as far as the, the server component is really, really critical to keeping the system secure. And it also allows us to have a much more robust server side so we can make that agent 
that runs on those individual endpoints to to you know actually run the tasks we can make it much simpler and because it's much simpler it's and it has less of an, an attack surface just by definition right and so we can sort of you know narrow that down to the strictest set of tasks that it must accomplish and the others we can handle on the server side and then we we dump uh uh rather you know inordinate for our company size to be honest uh amount of resources into securing that server side and making sure it's set and looking you know and then making sure the the communication to the agents is secure mm-hmm. and making sure that the agent itself is secure uh but you know once that's set it's really the the large focus is on the the server side so um it 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 really enables us to focus in a different way than a lot of our competitors and for me it's a lot of fun because um it means that we can do a level of monitoring uh, and anomaly detection that just wouldn't be possible under other other models. Yeah, I really like that. I've seen so many uh, security products where basically every time you're installing one, you're kind of installing a new server infrastructure like you're talking about inside the company. Mm -hmm. And now you're maintaining infrastructure, which is additional attack surface. Mm -hmm. And uh, so often those tools that are that are being stood up, that's what the attackers are going after. And you- Absolutely. And, and, and we're not even a security product. We're an IT product, right? But that's what makes it uh, so much fun. And that's what I, I love about uh, being at Automox is that we can bring a cybersecurity mentality to an IT product and deliver something that is just far uh, more secure than it would be uh, otherwise. Yeah, it's funny you mention that, uh, IT versus security. It's it's one of my questions for later on as well, but you, you just called it out right there. I I don't know. I, I kind of disagree or think that they're merging. Um, I, I feel that in, in order um, for security to be good, you need to know where everything is and you need to know its state, right? So like if you're doing that, if you're doing asset management and you're ensuring that things are in an ideal configuration, you're doing security. Now it could be that you're talking to IT people and it's an IT budget that's buying you, but yeah. these are really merging in my opinion. You're you're absolutely right. And and this has been a favorite saying of mine for, you know, long before I came to Autobox, 15 plus years. I've my my primary assertion is that really good security starts with very good IT. And and actually, if I had to choose between doing really fantastic IT and spending a lot more on security tools, I'll, I'll go after the the solid IT every time, hands down, because I, I think it I think it just flows from another number of factors, really. So, you know, yeah, first and foremost, you know, when you think about security, we're in the business, uh, you know, security practitioners are in the business of anomaly detection. So what does normal look like? Yeah. Is this normal? And if it's abnormal, is it malicious? When you have a sane, coherent, normalized IT environment that functions and runs the way that you expect it to, right? Finding anomalies in that is so very much easier because if there's chaos, if it's a chaotic environment, anomaly detection, it's it's kind of a shot in the dark, right? You really can't be sure what normal baseline looks like. So how are you going to find those anomalies to determine whether or not they're malicious? It's just, it's, it's becomes far less feasible. The other thing is that, you know, you get that basic discipline and hygiene of I'm up to date on my patches. My configurations are set in a proper way to where I don't have insecure configurations. Um, You know, my users are using expected methodologies and I'm able to support them well. So they're not using shadow IT and Mm -hmm. off, you know, adding in some, 
insecure system into my network that I wasn't aware of or, or you know, storing data uh, somewhere that I didn't authorize. So all of those things come together to not only make really fantastically good IT, but also fantastically good security. So I do see it as an enabler. And, and you're right. Our buyer is the IT department. Those IT engineers, those help desk technicians are our primary users. But we are trying to give them the tools to not only do their jobs well and do them properly and at scale, but also to answer those, you know, those security imperatives, which are really business imperatives from the security team to make sure that they're up to date and they're configured properly. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. Like, like um, I mean, just hit this one last time. Imagine if like a military commander was told, actually, the stuff you're doing isn't military. You're just tracking the location of enemy tanks and the configuration and the weapons on the tanks. And so it's really just about geography and about like understanding of like tank designs or whatever. And it's like, yeah, we call that military. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, so asset management combined with config really is security. And the, and the only reason that these two things are separate, and I think they're emerging as both industries get further along. The only reason they're separate is because of history. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think there's history, and I think it's also a little bit of um, I think there is a little bit of philosophy in there as well. And and what I mean by that is so so we do to be clear, we absolutely have customers today where um, either the IT and the security team are one and the same, or the security team is actually the owner of our solution, not the not the IT team. Okay. Um, and and even here at Automox, you know, my IT and security team, you know, they're they're separate on paper, but you know, the organization is called ITSec, and we treat them as one entity. They both work for me. Oh, I love and, that, and and it's it, it's fantastic. But you know, there's this there's this inevitable tension that has to be resolved, and so you know, the the tension between IT and security that we that the industry sort of grew up with is that you know, IT is about uh, efficiency, right? So delivery of services to make users happy at the lowest uh, cost point possible, right? You put yep. those two together, you have IT efficiency, and and that's that's their their north star. Whereas on the security side, it's really you know, is it secure? Isn't it? And if it's not. If I can't get as secure as I want, how do I reduce risk? How do I get that risk down to you know an acceptable level by the business? Or yes, we're going to accept this risk. We're going to mitigate this way. We'll place these compensating controls on it. And so those two were seen to be in tension because the, you know, IT team would try and do it cheap and, and try and make the users happy and not disrupt them. And the security team is trying to make things harder and add more friction and make it more expensive. And so the perception out there is that, well, I need a CIO and a CISO and that those who need to be in conflict and then get their, you know, you know, go to the CEO or the president of the company to, to get their conflicts resolved if they can't work it out between themselves. And I don't believe that to be true. I think that that now for some organizations at a certain size, yeah, you're going to have both of those. But in reality, what you really want is you really want a strong IT leader. Uh, you want a strong security leader. And, you know, are they always going to agree? No, but then they should report up to one common person. Now that common person can be the CEO or the president of the company, um, or it can be a CIO or a CISO, right? And here, we, I'm, my title is CISO. But, you know, having a technical leader who owns both of those disciplines and has them reporting up to them, that gives them an ability to, you know, s someone has to make that decision, right? Yep. When the two do get into tension, 
our philosophy is it's better to have it be a, a technical leader than to to force the CEO to to weigh in on those uh, on a regular basis. On on frankly, you know, a great many number of things that are just not things that he needs to focus on on a day to day basis. So that is a way to do it that works for us. Maybe it doesn't work for everybody, but I think your your broader point and the one that I absolutely agree with is that like the balance has changed. They don't always have to be in conflict or in tension with one another. And there are ways of resolving that, that are helping bring the two disciplines closer together. And the reality is, is that the closer they get, the more efficient the overall system gets. And so you get better outcomes, right? The users are happier and you're covering down on those security risks that much better. And those two things do not have to be mutually exclusive. And so thinking a little broader about how to get to that harmonious state has really improved the state of the art uh, in the last several years. Yeah. And I think what's essentially going to happen is the IT will end up being the thing and it will simply have more of the goals unified from security. So if IT is thinking security wise and has those same goals on board, they will, those security goals will just merge with the goals of the, of the IT organization. Absolutely. And, and it's not to say that you won't have specialty practitioners, yeah, right? You know, you will you come yeah. in entry level, probably going to be working on a help desk. And I think a help desk, my, my opinion, I am biased because, you know, in my early days, I started out on a help desk, uh, <laughs> when I was still in my teens and there is no finer way to learn about computers and all the wacky things they do or fail to do than to work on a help desk. And that's going to help you out whether you do it or security at the same time, you're going to have, you know, advanced, um, practitioners, you know, who do things like digital forensics or certain types of compliance that are going to be very specialized and, yeah. and, you know, they, they, they do that thing and that thing doesn't necessarily have a direct IT outcome, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't cross train your leaders, uh, your, your management cohort. You can't cross train, um, even a lot of your individual contributors to think about it. And, and again, we, we play a lot of zone defense here because, you know, sometimes the IT team will will have a large project and the security team will pitch in. Sometimes the security team is trying to trying to get a project of their own done and the IT team will lean in. And, you know, I, it, it, not only do we achieve a better outcome for the company, but each of the members of my team learn something new and get a better skill than they would have gotten somewhere else. And so, you know, that's really meaningful to, to me because, you know, success for me is watching them grow and be successful in their careers, even beyond their career here at Automark. So, you know, that's, that's a culture I try to, to foster. And that's, it's also something that I think about when, you know, building the product of, of, you know, Hey, am I, you know, table stakes is, can I allow a customer IT team to get a task done? But the goal is, can I enable them to do it really well? Can I do enable them to do it in a very secure way can I enable them to do it in a way where the security is baked in from the word go and they understand a little bit better why they're doing it and, and they're able to, to reach that better outcome. So, you know, you can just, if, if you have that as part of your culture, you can just filter it in at every point in the stack as you're working. And, and that makes it just not only easier, but a heck of a lot of fun. I absolutely love that. I love that because I feel that level of focus really fixes a lot of problems when you're making decisions of like which way to go. If you know exactly where you're heading and why, and you have a strong philosophy behind that. Um, what would you say the primary problems are that you're solving? Um, obviously we, we know that overall problems that products in the similar space are solving, but 
it seems like one of them is the overhead of the internal management. You're you're addressing that, but I, I guess more broadly, what what are the main problems that people are looking to solve when they get your product in? I I think the biggest thing is configuration drift, uh, hands down. Now. Patching is a big one. Uh, you know, we started out uh, in the early days years ago as a patching company, uh, and and patching is certainly central to it. But I view that as, you know, in my mind, that is part of the larger holistic configuration, you know, concept, right? Of I have to set a configuration and then maintain. Occasionally, I'm going to need to change that configuration, and I'm going to need to do it for a great many things, and then I'm going to have to deal with machines that didn't want to cooperate, right? So being able to say, hey, I'm going to write a, a worklet, we call them worklets, but but scripts, right? So I'm going to write a PowerShell for Windows or a Bash for Mac and Linux script that's going to set this configuration, or I'm going to pull it from the catalog, or I'm going to generate it using the AI tool uh, and, and hopefully proofread it like we tell them to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this script and I'm going to set this configuration at scale across my enterprise or a selection of it. And now you know, that, that configuration is set, but what happens if the configuration changes due to a patch on the system? What if it changes because, you know, some some program crashed and saved the, you know, made it made a change to the config, with, you know, inadvertently? What happens if a user or an admin makes a mistake? I need to, to reinforce that. So, okay, so now you set a policy to go back in and check that configuration from time to time and make sure it, it stays at that established baseline. Okay, now... I have this one machine that's not cooperating, so now I need to take one and I need to do a fix now. I need to go in and like like run something instantaneously, not on a policy basis, but directly in that machine to to modify it. You know, those, you know, just keeping the machine running or the the, the system, I should say, not, not an individual machine, but the the system running uh, is a full time job, and it's really it, it it configuration is the lowest common denominator. If it's all forms of configuration. Um, and whether you're remote controlling into a, an errant machine or you're managing it through policy, that's what you're trying to do. You know, somebody once, a friend of mine once said that the entire internet is in a continuous state of breakage. Like it's just, it's Absolutely. Just, it is constantly breaking. You know, you, you put it online and now it is, you know, from the moment it goes live, it just starts degrading and breaking until the point where you actually notice that, oh, hey, this is unusable. Uh, and I like to think about, you know, even a even small corporate networks that way that just it's it's a machine that's been put in place. It's running, but it's going to start breaking the moment it comes online. So you're just doing constant preventative maintenance and occasionally corrective maintenance to, to keep that thing in its optimum um, operating state. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I really do see it as a combination of asset management and state management. And the combination of those two actually include patch management, to your point. It's really interesting that you started out as patching, and now you're more broad but inclusive still of patching because state management is patching as well. Yeah, absolutely. And patching is, is I think, far more complex and fraught of a topic than people truly appreciate in this day and age. And mm-hmm. I think it's because so many people see it through the lens of their personal devices where now auto update functionalities are somewhat ubiquitous of well my iphone you know it it makes me patch every once in a while and chrome pesters me and you know wants to restart and you know windows is constantly patching and 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 that's true and you could do that in a corporate environment but where it's going to break down uh are a number of of things that the industry has struggled with for a long time you know you're going to have third-party titles um you know you're going to have these these other things that you run on top of windows or mac os or linux 
that have patching needs of their own and maybe don't include an auto update feature or an auto update feature that runs very slowly. And so what if you want to be more aggressive? Well, okay, you're going to need something to manage that. You're going to have users who are going to defer patches as long as the system will let them, or some of them will turn off the auto update if they can, um, but but that might not be in line with your policy. You're going to have systems uh, like servers where you know you need the patch to occur in this certain time frame, and so I need to target that, and I need you know this policy to run. I I only want to do it on weekends, not never during the week. Um, you know I only want to do it after hours, never during the day. You're also going to have um, you know things where you want to be a little more conservative on it and and you know perhaps delay patches to a certain window and so the the funny thing is you know 20 years ago we defined as an industry really fantastic patching by how slow you were how slow could you be with patching because are you doing discipline are you doing regression testing on mm-hmm. those patches are you making sure that it's not going to break things are you rolling them out slowly and judiciously are you setting it like okay i'll do this group now this group now this group now this group and make sure that you're not going to have a problem along the way and the security imperative over the last 10 years has turned this mindset into patch everything right now today just patch it blindly go 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 yep. and the reality is somewhere in the middle where when you look at the overwhelming number of patches i th- forget the exact number but something somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 90 95 percent of them are functionality patches they're not security patches or if they are security patches you know the majority of them are mediums and lows where you know the threat of what you would be able to do with it is very low or that's not really a feasible thing to exploit or you'd have to be you know you'd already have to be an admin on the machine um or you know it's it's um you know, the, the complexity is just so high that it's not going to be worth anybody's time to do it. And so do you need to, you know, apply the same level of um, urgency to that that you do a critical patch? Well, no. So, you know, patches present a risk in that they can break systems. And so being able to say, hey, I want to do my criticals you know, tonight. I want to do my highs this weekend and I want to do my mediums and lows once a month and i want to do all of my non-security patches once a quarter and then have them expressed right so that is that is a policy written by human beings probably on paper somewhere or sitting in a confluence page that is now going to be expressed through a technical product like ours to, to go in there and set your patching policy and now the machine is going to run and automate that for you at scale and so that's that's where modern patch management like what we present is is really critical to enabling the business of letting you set that intelligent policy express it in a technical policy and then have it executed at scale and then get that report back to tell you how it went that's the magic of modern patching yeah that's that's perfect and it's a good transition to go into the technical side of it what does that look like for automox like how do you define that policy at at what human level of description is it versus technical description and how um, does the actual system go and interpret that and execute on it? Yeah. So our goal um, is to make it insanely easy, just, just fantastically easy. Um, You know, I'm also the head of product, so uh, I'm never satisfied and never happy and it's never good enough for me. So I'm, I'm our own worst critic that, you know, we can make this easier. We need to clean that up. We need to tighten that up. But, you know, 
essentially, you know, you go in and you say, I want to do a new policy. I want to do it for my Windows machines, right? Because they're going to have a different set of mm -hmm. um, patches. And so, you know, I want to apply it to this group that I've defined. And I want to say this is for patching and I want to I want to patch all or I want to patch just things that meet these criteria or want to, you know, do this. Like, what is your type of patching that you want to do? How are you going to target that? What time frame and periodicity do you want to assign to that? And then you just hit go. And, and it can be that simple. Now we have some some customers who want to get um, very fancy with it. They have good business reasons for for coming up with ex extremely sophisticated policies, and we try to support that as well. But uh, you know the 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 goal of the product is to just be able to go in there and and just like I said, we have a written policy that's a you know few like handful of sentences or paragraphs long about this give me some examples of something like that it was it was literally the one i gave before of hey we're going to do you know critical patches nightly we're going to do uh high cvss score patches uh on you know every saturday um medium and lows are going to go on the last sunday of the month and uh you know everything else that doesn't have a CVSS score associated. I want those to go on a quarterly basis. And so you can write out a policy like that that says, this is my baseline policy. Mm -hmm. You can go in the product and say, okay, for my Windows machines, boop, 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 boop. You know, these are by by this criteria, by this criteria, by this criteria. Here are the times. Here's like the 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 day of the month or the, you know, and you could say, hey, I want it every, you know, on the 15th or you can say third Thursday. Doesn't matter. Um, you know, so you fill that out and then, away you go. And so now you have your set of policies to do that. You can also go in and say, oh, but hey, log4j, immediate emergency, you know, I need to do, you know, instantaneous patches of that. And so mm -hmm. now you can set a special policy just for that and say, hey, I want to, I want to be able to to make that happen quickly. So okay. we support both, both use cases, but it is, it's really about making that human articulated patching policy as easy to express and implement as possible. Sure. And how about discovery? Since the server side is on in the cloud, what, what does discovery look like to make sure you're you're actually hitting all those Windows boxes? So, discovery is technically a bit outside of our scope. Um, we're agent based, so there are some solutions out there that you know. There's basically two competing philosophies, and one is I'm going to leave discovery on the part of um, my customer mm -hmm. where they should they should know what's in their network. They're going to deploy my agent onto each machine and that agent is going to check in. And, and, you know, I can do some degree of discovery by looking in there and going, hey, I'm missing this machine. I don't see this machine, you know, yeah. to drop out of management, what's going on. And the other one, the other competing philosophy is is API based where now I'm going to have something on premises inside my boundary and it is going to search through the network to find machines um, that are out there. And then via API, it is going to directly connect to that machine and control it and tell it what to do. Mm -hmm. I, w that is not the direction that we went. Um, so, so there is a bar of, you know, you have to know the machine exists and have a method to push it onto there, which we have found to be not much of a barrier for most customers. Um, occasionally, you know, Someone, someone comes to you with an unusual use case, but we have a lot of ways to deploy through, like like their EDR. You know, usually the EDR is baseline; it's on every machine. We can deploy through that, right? So yeah. if you have CrowdStrike Sentinel One, whatever, like like we can use that as a deployment mechanism. Um, or Active Directory can see things. 
Active Directory can see things if you have on-prem Active Directory. But yeah. the, the challenge you get into um, with the API method is that it can be very slow. It can be slow um, because it has to like tell, interrogate, and tell the machine everything that it wants to do. Uh, and then you know it that presents a bit of a security risk of like, okay, that machine now has to have something open to accept those commands. You have to again have this server sitting on your premise inside your boundary that is searching all of these things and has, you know, remote control on all of them. Um, and, and they have to have these ports open, right? Whereas in our model, that agent sits there and it's doing the call outs, right? So there are no, um, you know, there are no like inbound firewall requirements, you know, just outbound, make sure you don't have us blocked, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but inbound, there's no inbound connection whatsoever. It's all the, the, the uh, the agent on the the client systems reaching out to the server to say, okay, tell me what I need to do, and so that again, right? Like that is just that is just security baked in from the word go. Of you know, this isn't something that's facing the internet that somebody can scan for and exploit uh, in mass. This is a thing that it's it's client call out only, and and it really just it it's it's more secure, but it's also just far better performance, so much faster. Mm. And what does day-to-day operation look like for someone using the product? Like, how often are they in the interface? Like, how many people does it take to manage a network of a certain size? Yeah. So, we have really two user personas. Okay. Uh, and, and one is an IT engineer, and the other one is, is you know, a help desk agent or help desk technician. For that IT engineer, my goal is to have them be in the product as little as possible, right? My goal is... They go in there and they set a policy, whether it be on configurations uh, scripting or whether it be on, uh, you know, patch management. That this is what I want to have happen. I'll see at the end of the month or the end of the quarter to come get my good news report. You know, I'll check in every once in a while uh, to make sure that things ran the way I expected. But but the goal is to take you know what used to be um, a lot of touch labor. Both, both literally physical touch labor and then later on digital touch labor of, uh, you know, I'm manually applying it to machines or to tranches of machines and just automate that at scale. So the, that user persona, that IT engineer, I want to make it so they have to be in the product as little as possible. Mm-hmm. And the other persona, though, that's that help desk technician. That's that person who says, okay, I've got this help desk ticket. The machine is, you know, malfunctioning. I need to go fix a user complaint. And it could be, the user made an error. It could be that, you know, the software didn't do what it was supposed to do for some reason. Uh, you know, Windows is malfunctioning, whatever it is. And so now I need to do a remote control session into that computer. Now I need to push uh, a change down to that computer, like, right now. Um, those folks, I want to have them in the product as much as, as, as they need to be. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully less and less. And, and, you know, what we're starting to dabble in is, hey... If you're, you know, trying to look at, you know, hey, if your help desk is in there quite a bit for a given issue, is that something where we can recommend a change to the engineers, right? Take the 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 individual bespoke work of the help desk and turn that into this is a systemic fix that the IT engineer can do for the many so that we can, you know, eliminate that that issue for them. Nice. Yeah. And it's always tricky with recommendations when you're uh, applying uh, something across a big fleet for a customer, right? Uh, Yeah. It was always the case. And especially with AI, it's like, hey, you might want to do this policy. And it's like, well, they told me to do it and they go and apply it and something bad happens, right? Absolutely. I, you know, I think my, uh, 
I think the renewals sales team hates me because I want to make us the product that gets forgotten that like, Oh crap, I forgot. Yeah. We have that thing, right. You know, cause it's just sitting there humming away, running those policies, maintaining things for you in the background, because you, you know, I, I grew up in this industry and you know, between IT and security, those are some long days and, and occasionally some <laughs> long nights, long weekends, you know, you yep. get, you end up being on call. You end up having to do, you know, maintenance windows and patch windows after hours back in the day. You know, you just, you have emergencies and like, I, I want to leave the world a little better than I found it. I want those people to go to their kids' t-ball game or have dinner with their family or be able to pursue their hobby after hours. I want to allow them to get that time back so they can focus on either the, the, the tasks that are not as easily automatable or, you know, being able to to just get off work that much sooner and, and go live and enjoy their lives. Yeah, that, that's an interesting challenge because, like you said, if you become invisible, they might think you're not doing anything. So then now you have a product challenge, which is amazing because you're also in charge of product. So it's like <laughs> you you could put out some sort of report that says, hey, I made the following 987 changes while you were sleeping and everything is running smoothly. And just to let you know, and like just keeping it in their mind, so yep. that so yep. when renewal time comes, they're not like I don't think they've done anything for me. We we actually implemented. We have an email report we implemented a while back where you know like once a week you get an email to tell you all the good things that Automox did for you the last week. Yeah. Because we were yeah. Worried about that exact same problem of like you know when you're the Maytag man like that's that's fantastic and right and that's a great place to be. But but yeah, there is that that danger of you know out of sight, out of mind. And, it works and, too good. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, but you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. That's, that's where I want to be. That's, that's the goal of, yeah, that's a better problem to have. It's, that's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. So what are you excited <laughs> in terms of uh, upcoming features? Like anything you could talk about that's coming out soon? Like wh what does the edge look like for you? So, yeah, so we do have some, some really exciting things coming out. So um, one of the areas that I thought was, um, a little bit weak was our, our reports. And so we have something coming out here in Q1 where we're going to really up the ante on some of the historical reporting that we've given our customers. You know, I, I think it was a little too much focus on absolute numbers and not enough on trends, you know? And, and so like, that's what I've been reinforcing with my team. And, and fortunately they were already, fortunately for me, they were already leaning in that direction. So I didn't have to lean too hard, but mm -hmm. you know, people, react to trends you know absolute numbers uh when you're talking about doing operations at scale across a network are mildly interesting but not terribly helpful am i getting better at patching is my mean time to remediate going up going down staying steady yeah like what is it you know show me whether or not i'm improving you know are, are these configurations taking hold how many times is it is it making a change when it does a a, a, a re-attack where it's where it's you know running again and, and making sure that that's still there you know being able to catch that drift early and often um that's that's where we i want to put a lot of focus so we have a lot of cool stuff coming there dynamic tags is another one that we're working on that i'm just i'm so excited about because it's going to allow like really fine-grained targeting of uh policies right so if i want to say hey you know i want mac os machines that have photoshop installed because that's probably my you know ux design team you know i want to be very aggressive on their patching but but you know machines that 
you know, have this sort of software installed. Well, that's my finance team, and and I want to be pretty aggressive on their patching, unless it's the end of the quarter or the start of the quarter or the oh, yeah, boundary. Okay. Like, then, then please back off, right? And so, like, being able to give them uh, our, our customers those sorts of tools to get up and running faster, to uh, implement groups and and really um, to targeting of policies in ways that were perhaps too cumbersome or, or onerous before um, is, is just, it, it's, it's really exciting to me because, because that allows you to get more sophisticated with it. Remember we talked about the policy. If the I policy is everything, right? Right. Yeah. So like now if I have a more sophisticated targeting method for my policy enforcement, that means I can have a more sophisticated policy and I can think a little bit deeper about like, what are the business needs where, you know, yeah, I have some of my users that I just want to, I want to patch, 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 change, 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 because they're high risk and them going down isn't going to particularly be bothersome to the business. But then I have other things like servers that know I need them only touched during certain windows or I need them touched in launches. And so, you know, being able to, to articulate that and, and then implement it, giving them that implementation boost is really meaningful to me. Yeah, I think that's magical. I, I think the thing that really needs to happen is you need to be able to articulate this in just normal human language, and LLMs mm -hmm. might be able to help here. The problem is the, the translation layer between that human definition of right. w what you're trying to do. But but to give an example, like if somebody were to just narrate, I want this to happen on weekends except for, oh, if it's you know sales quarter end or whatever, or it's accounting, or if it's a Mac, but w whatever or if it's a critical, and just have all those ifs, the way that humans yeah. articulate them, and go from that into a into a policy that someone could say, okay, this does actually capture the policy that I articulated. Right, right, right. You know? And, and we we have a, a feature today called uh, uh, Ascato that it does exactly that with um, with workless, with scripting. So, you know, hey, I want a PowerShell script that is, you know, going to go and it's going to check to see if this file exists. And if so, it's going to save it off to this resource on my, you know, the shared drive on my network. And then it's going to replace it with this, you know, known good copy. And then it's going to, you know, restart this service. And then it's going to check the state of the service and then, you know, market success, disconnect from machine, right? And like, just really type that out. And then we've put a lot of conditioning on the back end to make sure that you'll get something as close to purpose fit as possible, get the, the right sort of script, mm -hmm. you know, review that. Now you can implement that, that in a policy. So extending that into the the articulation of the policy the, themselves yeah. is, is something that I want to do. Um, more, more to come on that in the future, but okay. that is that is absolutely the direction that we're headed is either more more automation assist, but also a little more autonomy in the product to be able to say, you know, hey, like I want to take human understandable, human readable things and now have it expressed as a technical implementation. And I want an LLM to help me do that. That's that I think is the sweet spot of LLMs too. It's, you know, the, people, I, I'm, I'm one of those folks that, you know, I, I love, uh, you know, scrolling the internet for um, silly LLM tricks where they try and get to answer basic questions and it can't yeah. um and it, just looking at the wild answers always cracks me up and and because I, I i think that's still that's where there's a lot of enthusiasm that's where there's a lot of enthusiasm for llms um but i don't think it's their best use case i think it's really that expert agent um analog of you know i want to articulate to you what it is i yes. want 
with some degree of detail and then have you build me a technical implementation yes. that I can review and then implement. That's really their strength right now. And so we want to lean into that heavily. Okay. And where can uh, everyone learn more about the company? Easy. Uh, www.automox.com. Uh, A-U-T-O-M-O-X.com. Um, you know, go there and... There's, you know, we have, we have demos, uh, you, you can, and not just, you know, demos that you can watch on the screen, but, you know, you can get into it, you can get it started with a demo environment today, uh, and it's a lot of fun. And I'd also recommend people check out our, uh, our annual state of IT ops report, because, you know, we put a lot of work into that over 500 respondents across the industry about, you know, how, how IT is shaping up for 2024 as a discipline, uh, uh but also, um, you know, looking at how uh, automation and improving the agility of your team to be able to to map to new and changing business requirements can really make your life significantly better. So, you know, we hope people will get good insights from that as well. Okay. And we can put a link to that in the, uh, in the show. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, it's been uh, great having a conversation and uh, I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Daniel. Really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Unsupervised Learning is produced and edited by Daniel Meisler on a Neumann U87 AI microphone using Hindenburg. Intro and outro music is by Zombie with a Y. And to get the text and links from this episode, sign up for the newsletter version of the show at danielmeisler.com newsletter. We'll see you next time.